Hello and welcome to Boothcast. Now this Boothcast is brought to you by the Sean Partners Australian Ocean Racing Series. Now these have events on the Gold Coast, um, in WA and in Sydney. At the moment there will be more races added to the calendar as the summer goes through and we get over this COVID crisis but there's so much uh, good events happening over summer this year. Plenty of money, big names, uh, great events. Um, so many amazing people are going to be turning up to these, these races. You're going to go there and have fun with your friends, with your family, and you're going to enjoy that water sports experience no matter what craft you paddle. So please check out uh, the Australian Ocean Racing Series sponsored by Sean Partners on oceanpaddler.com. Now I'm going to throw you over to Yanda Morrison from Ocean Paddler. She's an ex-kayaker. Uh, she's got an amazing career that most people don't know about. Hello and welcome to Boothcast. On Boothcast, I speak to people who inspire me about sport, business and the winning mindset. Today's guest is Yanda Nosseter from Sydney. Now her last name is actually Morrison because she's married. She's a two-time Olympian. She is owner of Ocean Paddler. She's a firefighter. She was part of the era where there was the first ever women's surf ski racing. She's got a whole Olympic um, story to tell today. So we're very, I'm very excited to have her on. So Yanda, thank you for joining me. Ah, thanks, Boothie. Yeah, it's really nice to be here. Yeah, it's really great. No, no worries. So, um, growing up, you were, you started paddling around thirteen. But what was your like? What was your junior and um, childhood like growing up in Sydney? Oh, it was wonderful. Um, I grew up in Newport, um, Newport Beach, um, and um, I have a sister, an older sister. She's two years older than me. Um, yeah, I have really, really lovely and fond memories of, um, you know, going to the beach. My grandparents actually lived right on Bulgola Beach, so we used to spend a lot of time down there um, and around Pittwater, going to Clareville and having picnics, you know, with the family and family friends. So, um, yeah, I, I had a wonderful, wonderful youth. <laughs> yeah, and so were you, were you a competitive child um, going through the ranks? Was there lots of different sports that you did or was it just paddling that you got involved with um, through your mum because she was doing dragon boats? Uh, so I actually, I started playing netball like, you know, most girls do. Um, I would have been probably around 11. Um, and prior to that, I also did some little athletics. Um, I really loved doing the, like the sprint events, the hundreds and two hundreds were my main um, main event that I love to do. So yeah, I did little athletics um, and then I got into the netball. My mum said, you know, when I was young, I did, you know, dancing and ballet, but I don't think that was really uh, one of my strengths. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, as I started, um, you know, going into my teenage years, you know, around sort of 12, 13, um, I then got into paddling and, uh, so my mum was actually um, part of the Australian Dragon Boat team. Um, this is going back like 30 years. So she was a member of Manly Ringer Kayak Club and she used to spend the afternoons paddling in the Dragon Boat with her team. And uh, one of her paddling friends gave her a K1. And yeah, we took the K1 home and we lived right close to Narrabeen Lakes, just across the road. And yeah, and then I started having a go at kayaking, fell in a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's sort of how my paddling journey started. So you, so you get, start getting involved in paddling at around 13, you jump on Narrabeen Lake, you fall in a few times, you sit on the bottom of the boat, I'm sure, and you fill it up with water yeah. to try and stay a little bit more stable. Yeah. But it would have been a bit 
different um, as a, as a, I guess, a girl growing up through the eighties to actually jump on a kayak at that age, because it wasn't something that a lot of women were doing at that time. Yeah, no, there, there wasn't, there was no junior girls at all when I started paddling, um, especially in Sydney. There were a few other junior girls, you know, around the country that I ended up racing against. But um, yeah, I basically just started paddling um, with uh, Olympian Helen Jacobson. Uh, she was she had gone to the Munich Olympics, I think, and she started coaching me. Um, but apart from that, there were a few junior boys. And um, Shelley Oates was, um, she was based in Manly, but Shelley was 10 years older than me. So yeah, there really was no girls at all. And, you know, I would go to school and say, I'm doing this sport kayaking and everyone would look at me and think, what is that? <laughs> yeah. 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 And was it like, was it difficult as a, as a kid doing something that was so different or did you just love it straight away? No, I just loved it straight away. Um, I found it really challenging. So, you know, the first time I got in, I fell out and I kept falling in. But I just really loved the challenge of trying to actually stay in the, stay in the kayak. And, um, you know, it gave me something to do, I guess, in the afternoons after school. Um, my mum would go off paddling and I'd sort of run my kayak across the road and join in with them. Um, my stepfather was, he was heavily involved in surf boats. So he, he loved the water as well. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was great. I didn't feel like I needed to have other friends my age, um, doing it at that stage. Um, you know, I did find, you know, some of the, the, there were junior boys that I was paddling with and that sort of developed into a bit of a squad. So um, yeah, but no, it was really great. So when you were training as a junior, um, how old was it? So you were 13 when you started actually sitting in the boat. But when was it when you went to your first nationals and you started to think, okay, maybe this is something that I could do. Maybe I want to go to the Olympics. When did all that come about? Yeah, so that would have been, um, I think I was 15 by the time I first did my race, um, first started racing. We used to go to... Um, a little place called Dora Creek, um, where we would have regattas. Um, the state titles would be there. Uh, my first national kayak championships um, was in Adelaide, I believe, and I was I was fifteen, possibly sixteen, at my first national titles. Yeah, and how did you go at the first national title? Was there many girls racing, or was it was there was there girls races at that stage? Yeah, there was. Yeah. Um, look, I can't remember because it was so long ago. Um, there possibly may have been semi-finals or it could have been a straight out final. But there were there were a few girls. There were some really good girls in Queensland yeah. um, that were actually a bit younger than me. Um, and at my first nationals, I got third in the under 18. So I was still only 16. Um, but yeah, so I got third and the two girls that got first and second were actually only 15. So there wasn't, you know, generally you would think that those that would be winning an under 18 would be 18. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the three of us were probably the first, um, you know, of my age, like that coming through. Um, there had been... 
other girls. Um, so Kerry Randall, who I ended up racing with at the K4, um, in the K4 at the Sydney Olympics, uh, she had been to the 92 Olympics and she was only 19 when she went to those Olympics. So, um, but I never raced against her as a junior. So yeah, when I was paddling as a junior, um, there was a few girls, but yeah, definitely not the amount that there is today. Yeah, and you were sort of, I guess, pioneering the path in a way for a lot of the girls today who sort of, there's quite a strong Australian Olympic team now and yeah, girls are racing is. very well at the World Cups and the World Championships. So I guess having you girls sort of pay that way has sort of made a, made a, I guess, a more of a career path for those girls now. But when we're talking about um, the juniors and, and you make your first, I think, senior team at 17, mm. what was that step up like? And was it like the same type of um, travel and racing and World Cups and that type of thing that we have today? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very similar. So, yeah, I, I went away when I was 16 on the, uh, on the junior team um, and we raced in Europe for six weeks leading up to the World Championships. And then the following year... Um, was 1994 and I I guess my learning curve was quite was quite big at that age so you know I started to go well and then I quickly became quite fast which was you know which was very encouraging and in 94 I decided I was still a junior but I decided to also race in the seniors and I think from memory I might have got seventh in the K1 and they decided to put me into the national team to gain some experience overseas. So I was picked in the team. They didn't put me in an Olympic class event. Um, they put me into a K4 200 metre event, um, which we, we raced at the Worlds in. Yep. But very similar to what they do now. So we went away to Europe. We, we raced for four weeks, um, World Cups at Duisburg, um, uh, Milan in Italy. So it's still very much the same. Um, we probably did about three or four World Cups during that time. And then we came back to Sydney, had another four weeks training through winter. And that year, the World Champs were actually in Mexico City, which was at Altitude. So yep. they needed to, we needed to spend a lot more time preparing for that. So we went over to Mexico six weeks before the world champs. And um, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. You know, I was 17, I was really young. And yep. I was in the team with like Clint Robinson, who just won an Olympic gold medal at, you know, two years previous. So um, yeah, it was really special. And I think they actually let me carry the flag at the opening ceremony that year, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, awesome, because you would have been the youngest and maybe the youngest ever yeah. to make that that sort of seniors team step and yeah. get, sort of get on that bigger stage. And you have like those great names like Clint Robinson. And were they were they the guys you sort of were looking up to or was there their female idols you had as well? Like what were the people you were aspiring to be like at that stage? Yeah, so, um, yeah, definitely, you know, I looked at someone like Clint Robinson who did won, won an Olympic gold medal and, you know, that's really what I wanted to do, you know, was to go to the Olympics and, um, you know, win a medal. Um, so the girls that I was racing with at that time, um, the two girls that were, you know, amazing paddlers was um, Anna Wood and Katrin Borshett. So um, they during the time that I paddled, they were always sort of one and two. Um, yep. 
you know, and they did, they always did the K1 and the K2 and um, in, a, in Atlanta, they won a bronze medal in the K2. Um, so yeah, they were, they were the girls that I was really trying to beat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it must've been a, an interesting period for you because you, you come from like a, basically a solo type approach where you train with Helen Jacobson and you, I think you, you start paddling on Narrabeen Lake was a lot of like great paddles have come from the men's K4 was probably training there at the time. Um, yeah. What, who was helping you sort of get to that position and making the, the junior team or junior and the senior team at that point? Like who were you training under and, what was like, was there any support to get you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad you asked that. So I had a wonderful coach who coached me for my whole career. That was um, Ben Hutchings. So Ben had, um, he's coached in Australia and New Zealand for, my goodness, probably 40 years. Um, he, he saw me paddling on Narrabeen Lakes. He'd just come over from New Zealand. Um, he'd coached, um, you know, many of the New Zealand champions. And um, he basically said, would you like to join, join the squad? So he was coaching the New South Wales Institute of Sport squad. Uh, and he asked if I'd like to join in, which I did. And um, he really took me under my wing, uh, under his wing, I should say. Um, and he almost became like a father figure as well for me. Um, you know, he was someone that was there every single day. Um, he was setting the program. Um, we would go for soft sand beach runs um, in the afternoon just to build up that endurance before heading into the, you know, weights room. Um, so, yeah, Benny was probably, you know, he was my biggest um, influencer when I was paddling. And so you have Ben Hutchins. Is he related to Corey Hutchins in any way? Yep. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. 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 So that's Corey's dad. Okay. Right. Cause yeah. I, I'm hearing all these names sort of popping up as I'm doing these podcasts and it's quite interesting how everything sort of relates to each other in a way. So now that's good. That's good to know. And yeah. so Corey used to, Corey used to paddle with us on the lake and that's when he was involved in the Uncle Toby's Iron Man. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. Um, so you carrying on now being like, it's obviously a formidable sort of place to paddle. There's so many great paddles have come from there but you, you're making your own sort of strides. You make junior teams, you make senior team. You're 93, you're sort of racing non-Olympic event. 94, you go back and compete again, um, I think, overseas. Oh, it was at 94, you raced in Mexico City. But in yeah. 95, you don't make the team. Yeah, so 95, I don't make the team, which, you know, I was absolutely devastated because um, the, the, the year before the Olympics is always the big one, um, you know, before the massive Olympics. Um, and that's where, that's the team that you really want to be making to get that step into the Olympic team. Um, I think like looking back on it, I just put too much pressure on myself. Um, I had improved really quickly and I probably just plateaued out with my performance. And then on top of that, just put in too much pressure that I really wanted to make that team. Um, I went to the national championships in 95 and I think I made the final, but I must have, must have been towards the end of the final. And yeah, I didn't make the team and I was absolutely devastated. Um, and I'd already decided to do my HSC over two years. So 
I was a bit disappointed because I thought I'm going to have to go back and actually concentrate on doing <laughs> my schoolwork. Yeah. Um, but that was the second year of doing my HSC. So um, I only had half a workload. So it actually gave me the time to finish off doing my HSC and then to really spend a good winter building up a really big base. Um, before that, I guess I'd, I just hadn't done those really big kilometres, like 20, 30K sessions. And yep. to be a good sprinter, you've got to have that base behind you. So I spent the, I remember it very clearly, the winter of 1995, doing laps and laps around Narrabeen Lakes. Um, there was a great group of guys that um, I trained with. And um, yeah, I really think that was, it was a good thing. In the end, it was a really good thing because I then for 96 didn't have the pressure to, you know, to really, because I hadn't made that team, if I was to make the Olympic team, it would have been a bonus. So yeah, looking back, it was, yeah, it was the best thing that happened. I was about to say, it's probably like one of the best things that happened to you because it's sort of mm. you got that disappointment the year before the Olympic selection yeah. and you were able to use that to really fuel your fire and you could have either gone, I'm going to quit because I hate this and I, I, I wish I made it, I, I didn't, didn't achieve it. Instead, you went back, you focused on your training, you worked harder and you eventually come back to, to 96 and you, and you yeah. eventually make the team. But you also mm. start starting a business degree at that point as well. So you start thinking about your future and you're sort of working with a, a really strong sort of team down there at Narrabeen. Were you still the only, was there other girls starting to paddle down there at Narrabeen with you or was it just a yeah. group of guys you were paddling with? So I always paddled with Shelly Oates. Um, so she, her and I paddled together in 94 in the senior team. Um, yep. So we're in the K4. So we trained a lot together, but it was really, um, it was pretty much, you know, Shelly, myself, there was another girl, Selena, who was from New Zealand. Um, but yeah, but during those years, it was just really the three of us um, with the group of guys. Um, Shelly made that team in 1995 and she was in the, K, in the K4. So she was overseas during that time where I was back doing all those miles on the lake. Um, and yeah, and then she was around, you know, for the rest of the time as well. Yeah, so 95 was obviously a big learning curve for you as in like mental and I guess physical strength because you obviously were going back and working very hard on, on your distance and your strength and, and all these different skills that you're probably weaker at. What changed through 95 that sort of when you went to the 96 Olympic trials, what were you focusing on to make sure that you achieved your position in that team? And what events were you focusing on as well? Like was it 200, was it 500, was it 1,000? Like what were the events at that time? Yeah, so for women um, at that time, we only raced over 500 metres. And at the Olympics, there was only K1, so your single, K2, your double, or K4. Um, so Anna, Anna and Katrin really had the K1 and the K2. That was, you know, almost a given. So I was, um, I was working towards making that K4. So I hadn't been in the K4 the year before, um, but that was my goal. So... In order to make that K4, I had to have really strong performances in the K1 and the K2. Um, so through the whole season and leading up to the national titles, you're predominantly paddling K1 
maybe one or two sessions a week in the K2. And then during the season, we would get together as a sort of national um, national squad and race and train in the K4. And the coaches would look at different K4 combinations throughout that season. But my focus was on having a really strong K1 and a K2 performance um, in order to make sure that I would make that team. So, um, yeah, and I ended up at the national titles getting third um, in the K1, which was, you know, probably a, that was would have been my best result I've ever had at nationals was getting that third. Oh, no, I did. I actually got second once, but, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, getting the third in that in the K one, and we would have got second in the K two from memory. Um, would have put us second or third. We would have put us in, uh, put me in a good position for that team. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that year actually the um, the selection policy was um, a little bit different to what they do as well at the moment and. Um, Jimmy Walker has probably spoken about this because it was the same year that he made the team. So they actually, with the selection policy, um, did say that the, the first boat across the line would be selected um, in the team. Yeah. Um, so even though I was doing the K1 and K2, I also had to try and win that K4. So through that season, I was in a good K, a great K4 and we did win the nationals in K4. So that, um, at the time, I actually thought that cemented my spot in the team. Um, uh, but yeah, a couple of months down the track, it actually didn't, but um, yeah. So yeah, winning the K4 um, was part of the selection criteria. Um, so that was my first step on making that team. Yeah, I know Jimmy was talking about it. They threw yeah. that crew together sort of last minute and they ended up winning and beating the sort of like the, the favourite crew with I think a few of the Ironmen and a few of, yeah. of, the, of the bigger names and they sort of just got them at the finish line and that got them across the line. We didn't probably yeah. go into it in too much detail, but that was a selection policy at the time. But it's also very hard as a kayaker or a canoeist or whatever you, you call it to actually make these teams because it is so political because there isn't six spots for the K1. It's one spot usually for the K1 and it's one spot for the K2 and one spot for the K4 or yeah. something along those lines. I think there might be a couple of spots now this year for a couple of K2s and a couple of K1s, but mm. previously it wasn't anything like that. So you actually had to focus on really your team boats because even if you were an individual paddler, like it was, it's always very difficult. How did you sort of manage yourself around that? Because you have to sort of not only be with the right coaches, but be talking to the right people and making sure that yeah. you're in the right crew. And there's all that sort of political stuff that goes on with a lot of Olympic sports. How did yeah. you manage that? Um, yeah, I probably, with the guidance of my coach, um, you know, I think the coaches do um, a lot of talking behind the scenes and, they, um, you know, they kind of work out what combinations they feel um, will, will work together. Um, I always paddled K2 with Shelley and um, we always made a really good team. Um, Shelley was, you know, a very good front seat paddler. Um, she was, you know, extremely fast over 200 metres. I was probably more of a distance paddler. so. Yeah, we had a, 
we had sort of a strong K2. So having a good K2 meant that you could slot into a K4 with another K2 and that generally would work quite well as a K4 combination. So, but yeah, really like just, you know, working with your coach and, um, and then the coaches try different combinations throughout the year. Yeah, and talking about different combinations, you sort of get your third and you get you win the K4, so you qualify, but you're not technically qualified. And then you think you're racing K4 and then you have to yeah. race off for a K2 spot. And then before the Olympics, you actually go back to the K4. So you walk us through that period. And that sounds like a really complicated period as an athlete racing or preparing for an Olympic Games. You, you, you're bouncing around through different events. You don't really know what you're doing. You don't even know if you're going to be in the team. Yeah, yeah, it's really difficult. And... Um... You know, unfortunately, my experience has been somewhat, you know, um, not so great from that point of view in terms of like selection. Um, so we were we were selected as a K four, and it was pretty much what we thought was a done deal going to the Olympics. Um, and we went overseas to race at the World Cup, so the races getting ready, you know, for the games, and our performances, we were making finals, but we were nowhere near medals, you know, getting any medals. So um, at the end of our four-week trip, uh, they basically decided that they would um, re-look at priorities of what boats could potentially win medals at the Games. And, um, yeah, they decided to put together another K4 combination, which included Anna and Katrin, but it meant that Shelley and I were put out of that boat. So we were, we was devastated. Um, they told us we had to come home and race off for a K2 spot. Um, so then we came back and we then jumped in the K2 and um, yeah, we, we raced off for that position and then we got that K2 position. Um, so then we spent the next four weeks in Sydney before the Games, Shelley and I racing K2, believing we were going to go to the Olympics as a K2 combination, um, and got on the plane, went to Atlanta, still, you know, it was Shelley and I in the K2, we had Benny as our coach, and then it was probably two weeks before the Olympics, they then decided that, um, their chance of winning a medal would be better with Anna and Katrin in the K2. And it can be difficult to double up on events. Uh, Katrin was already doing the K1, so it meant that she would have... It wasn't really possible to do K1, K2, K4. So basically, it all went back to how it had been, which was Anna and Katrin doing the K2 and the four girls, which were originally picked as a K4, being in the K4. And yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what we raced at the Olympics. <laughs> Jeez, it sounds like a schmozzle, really. Like there's a lot of different things going on there. And I think you said um, before we came on that, that the, one of the girls didn't turn up for the K2 selection trials yeah. because it was so political and they didn't want to necessarily do that. And then you've got like your training with Shelley for to race the K2 500. You get the Atlanta, you race in the K4, K2 500, then you're not. Like yeah. what, like... As an athlete, how did you deal with that? Because it's not really a very good preparation because a lot of athletes like pick, they get picked in their event and they train for it and then they race. Like they don't 
go yeah. you're doing this then you're doing that then you're doing this like it's not really a, a very good preparation like what how did you deal with that as an athlete and what was really going on was it just the politics or was it just they just really weren't uh, were unsure as to which events people should be doing uh, I think the reason why that all happened was um, they just wanted um, Australia to have the best chance of winning a medal. And, um, you know, I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what was going through the selections minds, but I just think that, you know, they initially thought the K2 would have been the best medal chance. And then... You know, then they thought possibly the K2, so they put Anna and Katrin... Sorry, then the K4, so they put Anna and Katrin into the K4. And then, you know, Anna and Katrin was still probably doing time trials in the K2 and their times were potentially, you know, closest to a medal chance. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, the selectors were just trying to do what was the best chance of getting a medal because that's what it's all about. and. Um, you know, that year they they made the right call because Anna and Katrin did win a medal. So, but yeah, it's it was very disrupting that when you're that close to the Olympic Games, you can't think of the negatives. You just have to make everything a positive. So we, you know, because we had spent the, the um, local season training together as a K4, and then we'd raced overseas for four weeks. We'd done a lot of training. So it wasn't as if we were just jumping into a crew with four different girls. We had actually done a lot of work together. Shelley and I had paddled the K2. We'd kept training as a K2. Um, in the K4, we sat one and two. So we really just slotted straight in, straight back into a K4. We we all got along really well and we all knew that we had a job to do and we just had to get on with it. Um, so yeah, that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to make sure that you're taking the opportunities you get and just control the controllables. Cause sometimes if you get too caught up in the moment, you're yeah, focusing you on all the other shit, you just can't perform. So you just got to get yeah. on with it and, and get the job done. So um, outside of the politics, I guess, of the whole selection situation, what was the Olympics like? Like, how did you really enjoy it? Like, how was the experience, like, getting over there and competing? Like, how was it? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, you know, I was only 19, so I was so young. Um, you know, just finished school pretty much. Um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like, the opening ceremony, you know, I, had a, I dreamt of, you know, every night I used to go to bed and dream about walking into the opening ceremony and standing up on the dice at the Olympics. Um, yeah, and to actually be there was, you know, it was just amazing. It was wonderful. Um, and to meet, you know, all these other, you know, Australian representatives, um, you know, across lots of different sports. Um, we, we were staying, we didn't actually stay in the Olympic Village in 96 because um, we were racing up in the mountains yep. um, about an hour away. So, um, but we came down for the opening ceremony and then because we raced the second week of the Games, um, we came down again to watch, uh, I think it was the swimming um, and then possibly we came down for another event, like I think it was the hockey or something. So yep. um, we still got to sort of be involved, but we were still sort of staying away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the... You know, 
where we stayed up in um, Georgia in Atlanta, you know, the locals were so welcoming. Um, my parents came over and they got put up, they got billeted out to a local family. Um, yeah, my sister came over. Yeah, it was just, it was just an amazing experience. Yeah. And how did everything go racing wise? Did everything go to plan? Did the, did, the, did like did you have like a race plan? And did like did you have your, I guess your procedures and your plans in place before you went yeah. to the event? And did everything happen the way you thought it would, or did you go better than you expected, or worse than you expected? Like how did it all play out? Yeah, so uh, we ended up making the final, which was that that was our main, you know, that was our first step to do was to make the final. Uh, so yeah, we made the final, and then we got eight. So there's nine boats in the final, so we got eight. Um, yeah, obviously we would have loved to have got better than that, but um, you know, we we sort of knew we like to be in with the medals was going to be like a long shot. Um, yeah, so from memory, everything went to plan, and um, you know, we raced as as well as we could, and um, you know, I, I was happy with the result. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, and you finished eighth. And I think the men's K4 that year finished ninth. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, similar. Yeah. 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 And then did Clint get a medal in that Olympics? Clint got, Clint raced the K1 and he got bronze. Yeah. 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 So it was, I guess the, the kayaking program still brought home a medal, but I guess it was yeah. obviously a full experience for you. Now, yeah. when you're coming back from the Olympics, were you still motivated to keep racing or was it, was it, did you see it as like a learning experience or did you see it as something that you've succeeded and you want to move on from it or was it, okay, then let's get back, let's get into it and let's, let's do the next cycle? Yeah, no, it was definitely like, let's go on and go for Sydney 2000. I mean, I, I felt that my goal was always sort of from a younger age was like Sydney Olympics. Yeah. So when I made Atlanta because I was young, um, yeah, like that was, you know, that was just like a bonus. And yeah, so I came back and my focus then, um, yeah, was on the Sydney Olympics. Yeah, yeah and you, it's sort of, there's, a, there's a lot going on through this period. I think it was the first time that women had a surf ski race in surf lifesaving as well, yeah, around yeah. 96, 97. And you were obviously racing the boys all the way through that period so tell us a little bit about that like going through the junior ranks and not really having a women's division you're having to race the men's and then you get your your first um i guess australian titles in 96 yeah yeah so um i i, I never grew up doing like nippers or surf club stuff which was quite strange because my stepfather was always involved in surf boat rowing um yeah. But yeah, we just, I just never sort of did the nippers. But then as I started paddling, all the guys that I paddled with were part of Colorado Surf Club. And so I decided to, you know, when I was 16, to go and do my bronze and, um, and compete in some of the surf ski races. But there was no women at all. They, they, didn't, they didn't have any women races for, for us to paddle in. So I used to go to just the local carnivals and, um, you know, I remember really clearly going to a carnival over at Cronulla and uh, racing in the under 18s and I got fifth. I still remember it. <laughs> and crossing the line, I was, I was stoked. And then there were these dads on the beach with their junior boys yeah. just going, what just happened? <laughs> they just got beaten by a girl. So yeah, that was quite funny. Um, yeah, so I paddled uh, 
just in the local carnivals and possibly in state. I might have just raced in the junior boys. Um, yeah, and then the first year, I think it was, I think it was 96 from memory. The first year they had a women's surf ski race at the national titles at Aussies. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it was actually, it was, it was tough competition. There was quite a few girls that, um, because it was the first year, you know, a lot of the girls that were doing the Ironwoman, you know, wanted to try and win that race. So, um, yeah, I made the final at Aussies and it was at Karawa, which, you know, anything can happen. And I remember getting out the back and I was sort of amongst that sort of top five or six from memory. And I was thinking, oh, you know, this is, this is my chance. And then the next minute, a massive wave just like wiped out. It pretty much wiped out the whole field, I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't think I finished. I swam into the beach. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. nice to obviously be a part of that piece of history. And I think yeah, it was. Went on, went on to win that yeah. race, and you would have had like the likes of like Reen Corbett and Penny Turner and yeah, those Percy girls. Holmes. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. sort of. They were sort of like, I guess, the the top Ironwomen of the day and doing the, the Tobies and the, and the Nutrigrain type events and yeah. cut them coming over and sort of starting to do a bit of ski paddling. Did you notice that any of those girls would come into kayaks as well? Um, they didn't really, no. No. Um, I think they might have tried, you know, turned up to a state titles or so, but... Um, yeah, the girls that I went through really were just concentrating on sprint kayaking. Yeah, okay. And but you, I know you did a few of the outrigger events through in '97, '98 with uh, the the Wahini outrigger crew yeah. or something like that um, for Molokai. Was it yeah. was it fun to do something a little bit different like that? Because obviously you've been doing kayaking for so long, you started doing a little bit of surf ski paddling, and now you're doing outrigger as well. Was it just like your love for the ocean? Yeah, yeah. So the outrigging, um, that came about um, through Lisa Curry. So she was heavily involved in doing the outriggers and she really wanted to put together a, um, we were called the Australian Riggeroo. So sort of like a, you know, a really good um, girls um, team to try and win the Molokai Outrigger Championships. And a bit um, of play on words there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it fit in really well with the kayaking. So we would go to Europe, race the kayaking world champs, and then from memory we would fly back sort of via Hawaii and do the outrigger race. So, yeah, we, we spent most of our training in the kayaks and then um, we would do, you know, a few training sessions with Lisa Curry and the girls and then we'd all meet up in Hawaii and, um, yeah, and then go over and, you know, do that race. Yeah, and I guess Shelley would have been doing over there with you as well because she's now, she was coaching over there in Hawaii for a long time, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. So Shelley was always in those teams. Um, we had like uh, Kirsty Holmes, uh, Jane Hall was our steerer. Um, yeah, so there was a whole group of us. And then a few of the kayaking girls as well would come in. So like Katrin raced one year. Um, yeah, but that was really fun because we would go from, you know, really serious world kayaking champs to then to the outriggers, which, you know, it was, you know, we were really determined to win, but it was also just a lot of fun. 
Yeah, so, I can imagine it was just a bit more relaxed and taking away because I know how, how serious that kayaking sort of um, scene can be. So it must be nice to sort of get away and relax yeah. and do a paddling race without having, I guess, so much pressure because as you, as you sort of say, like you're racing for Australia when you go to these Olympic titles and everything is based around having giving Australia the best medal chance. And mm. so a lot of things are outside of your control, whereas that sort of event you go there, you have fun and uh, everything's in your control because you just get to go and do it because you want to. Yeah. Um, but same sort of time, so 97, 98, 99, you're leading into the next Sydney Games, which is what your focus was, as you said, when you first started kayaking. What were those like three or four years like in the kayaks? And were you making um, incremental improvements at that point? Were you still paddling with Shelly or were you mixing up crews? Like what was all happening through that period? Yeah, so um, still, you know, training a lot in the K1, um, concentrating on trying to get like a really good K1 result. Um, uh, I did continue to paddle with Shelley. Um, I think towards the end we we swapped crews. But um, yeah, so ninety seven. So after the Olympics in ninety six, um, ninety seven, ninety eight, there was kind of a new group of girls coming through. So it was new combinations, um, and we raced at the World Championships um, those two years. Um, and yeah, in terms of my performance, I was slowly improving, but I think I'd had a really big improvement in that 96 year and then 97, 96, 97, um, 97 was my best national titles. Um, yeah, 98 and then probably sort of started to hold that sort of performance then, um. Yeah, in 99, I didn't make the team either, actually. So the same thing happened with what happened in in uh, 95, missing out on the team. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, it was, all, it was all just training, doing different combinations, spending a lot of time on the Gold Coast at the AIS um, with national squads, um, you know, trying different boats, a lot of testing, biomechanical testing. Um, yeah, but the, you know, the goal was always, you know, Sydney Olympics. Yeah. So you, in the, in the 97 world champs, you finished eighth in the K4, um, in Canada, and then you race in Hungary and you finished ninth the next year in the K4 500 again. So that was sort of like your main, that was that, be, was that becoming your sort of main position in your, like the Australian team for those world championships? And what, what position yeah. in the boat were you sitting? Uh, so, um, yeah, so K4 was really where um, was where there was openings for the team. Um, you know, Anna and Katrin were still paddling. They really were dominant in the K1 and the K2. So, um, yeah, my focus was on the K4. Um, yeah, so in terms of where I sat in the boat, um, I always was probably towards the back of the boat, but... In saying that, I raced, you know, Atlanta in seat two. The next year I sat in the front, which was, that was, that was different. Yeah. Really, really difficult. Um, and then I think the next year I was in seat three or four. Um, yeah, so I have sat in all those positions. But, yeah, if I had to pick a favourite, it probably would be seat three, where I felt like I was probably 
best suited to. Yeah, and then Sydney 2000, um, you have another, some more issues with selection. I know you go to the Court of Arbitration Sport a couple of times and that must have been hard to way to secure your spot in the team. But how yeah. did that all come about? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was really hard. And, you know, I don't really talk about it that much um, because I think I am a bit scarred from it all. Um, yeah. yeah, so basically um, the way it works is they have a selection policy, a written selection policy, um, and they put that out at the beginning of the season so you know what you need to do in order to make that team. Um, I raced, you know, that whole season um, in K1 and K2. Um, I also was in a K4 combination um, during that season that, um, from memory, we won the K4 at Nationals that year. Um, so they picked the team and I wasn't listed on it. Um, and I felt that I should have been and that they hadn't actually followed the selection criteria. So they had a selection policy, but um, yeah, in I just felt that they didn't follow that and they just picked the crew that- Or who they wanted. Really what they wanted, yeah. Yes, so, the politics. Um, so, um, you always had the opportunity to appeal that decision, um, knowing that they would just dismiss it, which is exactly what they did. Um, and yeah, so uh, my stepfather engaged a friend of his who was a solicitor and he looked over um, the selection policy, he looked over all the results. They'd also done, They'd done a lot of seat racing, so they picked a squad after the national titles and then they spent a week with, I think there was 10 girls, and they spent a week pretty much doing seat racing, one-on-one -on -one seat racing. So they'd have two K4s, line them up, you'd race, they'd time, they'd swap the two front seat paddlers, you'd line up again, you'd race. And so all of that was timed, hand-timed, you know. <laughs> yeah, very official. Um, very official. Um, but, you know, my results in that were good. You know, every time I sat, was raced one-on-one, -on -one, I, you know, not every time, but, you know, I performed really well. Um, and I just felt that, that that wasn't actually taken into consideration, you know. So they'd spent a whole week doing that, but then they actually didn't, they picked a crew that had never done the racing that week. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so we basically, once you appeal and they dismiss it, um, you can take, the next step is to go to Court of Arbitration for Sport. Um, so we went on to the court and basically... The, the court wasn't going to pick who was in the team, but they just had to show whether the selection policy was followed or whether yeah. it was not. And they, we won in the fact that they said the selection policy wasn't followed. So you need to go back and follow the policy and you need to repick the team. Yeah. So 
yeah, while that's happening, the K4 that was selected was training and preparing to go over to Europe. Um, yeah, so then they went back and they just picked the same team. Yeah, okay. So um, by then, you know, my solicitor and then we also got another another um, QC involved and, you know, they just really felt that um, they just hadn't followed the policy and that, um, you know, it was unjust really. So, yeah, it, it went back again to the Court of Arbitration for Sport and um, in the end, because it had, it had been going on for a long time, um, yeah, in the end I did get picked in the team. So, um, yeah, it was it was actually a really difficult time because when they put me in, they had to put someone out, you know, which was not nice. Um, yeah, but if I had my time again, I would still do it because I believe that I should have been selected, you know, from the start. So. Yeah, well, it sounds like that they didn't follow the procedure and, and that sort of happens a lot in Olympic sports. You look at Hayley Nixon going back a few years and listening to her story recently, she yeah. had a similar thing with rowing and she made a lot of sacrifices to get to that point and she wasn't as lucky as, well, not lucky, but she didn't follow through maybe as hard as what you did to get into the team and you only get these opportunities very rarely in life and if, if they come up and you've got to take it from somebody else, then you have to because they're not going to give it to you it's just same way yeah. that you're not going to give it up really to them so yeah. as i think it's the right thing to do and i'm glad you've made the made that team because you deserve to be there and if that's what's supposed to happen then that's what's supposed to happen and mm -hmm. i hate when that doesn't and people don't follow through with that and they sort of i don't know exactly what happened in that instance but yeah. just putting people ahead because that's who they wanted in the team regardless of whether that's what they were supposed to do or not that just for the clients my gears and what i guess yeah. was one of the things that got me out of kayaking in the end yeah. But, um, <laughs> but um, so going, f going into that Olympics, it must've been a bit of a weird environment to be in because of all yeah. the stuff that was going on, but I'm sure you all got over it and, and just moved on and focused on the opportunity. But what was it like yeah. going into those Sydney games? Cause it was a home games. Yeah. It would have been pretty cool to be a part of the Australian uh, games in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I'd always sort of dreamt about what it was going to be like. Um, I think, you know, because of what had happened with the court stuff. Um, my overall experience was probably not as great as what I would have hoped it would have been. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I had some really great times. Um, the day of the opening ceremony, I got to run in the torch relay, um, literally just past my house at Narrabeen. Um, so that's a really, you know, that's a really nice memory. Um, finally, after 20 years, I've got the torch hanging up in my house. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Was it sitting in the garage for a while, was it? Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been in the garage for a very long time. Um, so, um, yeah, like, you know, and going to the opening ceremony, especially because it was, you know, in Sydney, was amazing. You know, it was, it was um, yeah, it was everything that I'd ever dreamt it would be like, um, you know, walking into a stadium of, of full of, you know, Australians calling out, you know, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, the running in the torch, running in, running the torch and then the opening ceremony was definitely the highlight. Um, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, in terms of, I'm sure you're going to ask, how did we actually go? Um, 
so yeah, we we didn't make the final, and it was it was really disappointing. Um, you know, especially because I guess because I'd made I'd been put back in that team. I then really wanted to prove that I guess we sh- I should have been in that team and you know and produced the result. Um, yeah, but unfortunately we didn't. So um, you know that that was really disappointing. You know. Um, yeah, I can imagine it would have been yeah. tough. And I guess you have to have a certain level of mental strength to get through what you had to go through to make that team in the first place. Then moving into, a, I guess, I guess I'm guessing a, a somewhat hostile environment yeah. because of what happened, and then competing with the girls that probably it must have been a really difficult situation. But to be able mm. to turn up and still compete and do the best you can on the day was, I guess, the thing that you had to do. And you did that, yeah. and there's nothing more that you can do than what you what you did over that period of time. And yeah. And coming away from the Olympics, you decided to take a step back from kayaking. And that was when the whole ocean paddling thing started. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess after the Olympics, I was pretty much done. Um, I, I didn't want to completely sort of hang up the paddle, but I, you know, it took me probably two years to really get over you know, um, that whole experience. Um, yes, but the natural thing to do was to just jump on an ocean ski because uh, I still loved paddling. I just didn't particularly want to be involved in the, you know, doing the sprint kayaking and doing that competing side. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I had sort of done a bit of ocean paddling while I was, um, while I was kayaking. Uh, I used to, you know, try and have a go at the 20 beaches. I'd fall out all the time because I wasn't used to the, the chop and the yeah. waves. Um, I was used to the flat water. Um, but uh, Dean, Dean Gardner was, um, he was always really encouraging me to, you know, come for a paddle with him. He used to text me all the time, come out for a paddle. Um, you know, he gave me uh, my first ski, which was a Fen Molokai. Um, which Millennium. Was the, what's that? Is it a Fen Millennium or a Fen Molokai? I haven't heard of that one before. Oh, Millennium. Sorry. Fen yeah, Millennium. I was like, Fen Molokai. Yeah. Wait, this is a new scale. Yeah, I've never heard of this one. No, no, I'm getting confused. Yeah, Fen Millennium. So, okay. you'll have a paddle. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, Dean gave me one of those skis and a Fen, fen paddle. And, um, yeah, and then I started just doing the men's health series um, that... Dean and um, Shireen were running at that time and yeah like it was good fun like you know been out on the ocean and uh, there was a few girls like some of the iron girls were doing it um, you know some of the kayaking girls would jump on and do the races um, and there was a little bit of money nothing like there is today but there was you know a little bit of money so yeah yeah and yeah I loved I've always loved being on the water and um, yeah so making that transition from kayaks to the ocean ski was just sort of a natural thing to do. Yeah. It would have been fun to sort of get away from that sort of environment that you're in and, and see this new community, this new school, these new things that you can learn. And I guess surf ski for me was always a very relaxed environment. It's all about having fun, doing your best and hanging out with your mates. And I think that's really something that probably drew you to it. And you had a, you end up having a few wins. I think you won the doctor a couple of times. You won the men's yeah. health series a couple of times. So a bit of history that I guess people probably don't know about you. Can you tell us about going into those events and what was it like as a, I guess a, 
a girl coming into because you're only young when you finish the Olympics, you're only like 24, hmm. I think, in 20, 2000. Yeah, I would have been 24 by then. Yeah. Yeah. So then you start. You like it's pretty young, like 25. You're sort of giving up on the kayaking sort of dream because of whatever happened, and then you're yeah. moving into ocean ski paddling. So you still like the best years ahead of you. So it must have been nice yeah. to sort of still be able to push into the paddling and. I guess help pioneer women's ocean paddling. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. And you know, looking back, I think if um, if Dean wasn't there texting me and asking me to come training, um, I probably wouldn't have pursued doing the ocean ski because there wasn't that many sort of girls doing it. It was mainly yeah. sort of the guys doing it. Um, but yeah, like. Um, yeah, I just really enjoyed, you know, getting out on the water. Um, you know, Dean said one year would I'll pay for your flight to come over. Do you want to come over and do this race called the Doctor? Um, you know, I, you know, just sort of started to sort of understand what races were on. So um, yeah, so you know, I went over to Perth, and I think back then there was maybe fifty people who you know we had a little boat like the size of the Silverado boat that we use now and that was like the whole the whole competition um yeah, yeah going over to Rottnest Island and yeah we we would race back to the two years that I did it, it finished it finished at Hillary's Marina so yeah but I loved right. it. yeah I loved it like in Sydney we don't get those conditions yeah. like you do over in Perth and um yeah, like it was, it was really good. Yeah, it was really good fun. But there wasn't, I mean, there was good competition for the girls, but in terms of like travelling and going over, I really was doing that by myself <laughs> um, or with some of the guys. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, like it, it was great fun, but there wasn't like, it definitely wasn't like it is today, you know, where there's lots of girls um, no. doing it. Yeah, it's been amazing, the progression, and obviously seeing so many girls racing now, like you might have 100, 150 girls racing, whereas before you might have had, I don't know, 10 to 15 maybe back in those days or maybe yeah. less, I'm not sure. But it's um, just, I guess, there's just been more opportunities for the girls to be able to yeah. compete, and um, it's just great to see so many more doing it. Like even when I started back in 2012, there still wasn't many, very many girls competing. You yeah. still have like 400 guys and a few girls but that's all that's i guess slowly changed there's been more opportunities for all the girls and i think it's great to see even for me like just to see the girls events be competitive because it used to like frustrate me in a way that like there'll be one or two girls turning up and like they'd have the equal prize money thing you're like well why aren't you turning up like come yeah. on girls like come on like there's this like yeah. there for you take the opportunity and they weren't doing it but now i think that mentality's changed and, and a lot of the girls are stepping outside of their comfort zones and coming over and doing these events but it must it, in a way it must be daunting turning up to an event and you're one of five girls or one of ten girls especially yeah. back in 2004 and there's all these blokes around it doesn't it probably wasn't that inviting of an environment to be in even though everyone's probably really, really friendly it's just yeah it's a very very different environment to jump into yeah yeah but you know it i'd grow i'd also trained all those years with on the lake with really just all those guys you know mm. so with only having a few girls um, in that squad. So it really was no different. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is, it's fantastic to see that um, there are more girls um, doing the ocean racing and that we're starting to see the transition from the 
um, like clubbies across to the ocean ski because there's so many girls that paddle. You know, you go to Aussies and there's so many girls that are doing the spec ski, um, ski races. And, but then you go to an ocean race and there just hasn't been those numbers. So I think, you know, with what's happening at the moment and, you know, the, the commitment from Sean Partners and, um, yeah, it's, it's really great to see that there's a lot more, a lot more girls doing it. And, and how do we sort of, in, I know like obviously the opportunities have created like the Sean Partners Prize money, the Eagle Prize for the girls now, there's more girls competing, but how do we get more girls involved in ocean paddling? Uh, look, I think it's, um, it's just through more encouragement, having, um, you know, in the training arena. So, like, I know for, like, where I am at the moment, um, you know, predominantly being guys, but now there's a good group of girls. Um, and if there's more girls in a group, then, and then if that can slowly build, I think that's where we'll see the numbers. You know, it's very hard for, you know, one girl to come along to a training session with 15 guys and they're way out the back because, you know, they just don't have the strength to be as fast. Whereas I guess what I'm seeing now is there's, if there's, even if there's like five girls, three girls that are paddling together, at least they're together and yep. they're encouraging each other. So, yeah, if we can, you know, around the country, if you can get more smaller groups i think that will that will build yeah it's all about that oh i guess it's all about the girls working together so yeah. girls out there, try and yeah. try and meet up with your friends and go paddling together even if you are joining on to one of the bigger groups trying all come down together and sort of make it a bit of a morning as well like i know i love going paddling with my mates because i get to go coffee and breakfast afterwards that sort of gets me yeah. out of bed you know so try and make those sort of experiences with your friends and, and create trips and go to these events like the doctor and sort of make it a, a bit of a girl's trip as well and you'll have a lot more fun and i think there's a lot more experiences to be had for the girls and there's a lot, a lot of opportunities out there as well but i know that you started working with dean in 2009 after he was sort of like a sponsor a mentor in a way yeah. How is the whole, and now I know you're a part owner of, of Ocean Paddler, Dean's business. How has that whole experience been from going from being mentored by Dean to working with Dean? I'm sure it's, it's, it's as fun as it is frustrating because I know Dean myself. Um, but he's, he's, he's done an amazing job for Ocean Ski Paddling in the country. Like he's, he's brought the Ocean Series from where it was back in the early 2000s to now with some of the big commitments from major sponsors like Shore and Partners. What has that whole experience been like? Because you've sort of been there for a lot of the journey now. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. So yeah, I started um, with Dean in 2009. So um, what's that? 11 years. Um, yeah, like, I mean, it's been great, you know, um, Dean and I work really well together, you know, we're quite different. Um, you know, Dean comes up with these ideas, these wonderful ideas, and then sort of, um, I'm more doing the nitty gritty stuff and making sure that, you know, everything is ready for race day and that. So, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we make a good team, which is why it has worked so well. Um, and, you know, Dean's very, um, you know, he's really passionate about ocean racing. So, um, you know, he's, you know, it's great that he had really has kept the sport. I mean, he really started the sport, you know, back in the days with, um, you know, with Guy Leach, they used to run the Sydney Water Classic. Um, and then with the men's health, with, um, you know, Dean and Shireen. So Dean's wife, Shireen, 
um, who's amazing. She helps out with all the events. Couldn't do that without her. Um, yeah, so he's been, you know, really, you know, passionate about making sure that we've got these races. And then I guess I'm more of a um, project manager style person, you know. Yeah. I, I want to make sure that everything's done, you know, best that, the best that we can do. So, um, yeah, I think we make a really good team. Yeah, it's obvi I've obviously met you through Dean and, and through Ocean Paddler and it's been great to sort of work with you guys. And I know that you're sort of, as you say, the nuts and bolts and the grind sort of behind the scenes and Dean's the ideas guy and sort of says yes to everything. And then you've got to work out a way to, to make it all happen. But Shireen's obviously a big part of that business as well. And yeah. it's cool to see Guy and uh, Dean still working together on a few of the trips and that type of thing when they were starting events together back in like 96 and 97, I think they had the, one of the first, a couple of first ski paddling events that they, they created. So it's amazing yeah. to see how far ocean paddling has come. And it's sort of probably the, arguably the biggest water sport in the country at the moment. Like I don't think yeah. that it, like even surf lifesaving or stuff or any of those sports really compare to, to what, where ocean ski paddling is now. And you're sort of seeing a lot of um, different athletes coming across from these different sports to compete in ocean ski because that's sort of the professional series really at the moment in, yeah. in australia for water sports so it's been a really cool thing that you guys have created and i'm very lucky to sort of be a part of it in some way yeah 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 i guess when you you know when you think of it like that um you know we've we've done a lot of hard works with the australian ocean racing series you know like um you know some years you know with very little sponsorship um trying to run events and you know work out what events should be part of the series and you know, trying to keep it going. Um, you know, and we're really fortunate that we've got the support of, you know, such wonderful sponsors now. You know, we've got Shore and Partners, um, you know, Earl and Alan are amazing. Um, you know, then we've got Investec come on board. Um, yeah, so we've got some really great sponsors. So, um, you know, it's good to see that, yeah, we've gone from, you know, little beginnings and now, we can see, I guess, the hard work paying off. Yeah, it's awesome to see so many, I guess, series sponsors being involved. As you say, the Sharon Partners, Investec, you got Gara, Bennett, by Kobe, Epic, um, and a whole bunch of different sponsors. So it's great to see, I guess, other people seeing the value of the series and sort of jumping on board and helping foster the sport in the country because it has gotten to an amazing spot. And at least we know for the next two years, it's in a really, really good place. So I think you're going to see a lot of fantastic racing and a fantastic events that are going to be happening around the country. Um, take a step back a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit. I know you did a lot of boat rowing. Yeah. Uh, boat rowing was your next passion. I think you did that for about 10 years. You won an Australian gold medal, I think, a couple of seconds, thirds. Yeah. What was that like to be involved? I guess... In a way, in kayaking, you're in a team environment, but you're not really. It's a very individual sport, but then you put together as four individuals. It doesn't, for me, it was never really, you didn't really feel like a team. You always felt like you were yeah. competing against the guy that you were racing with. Whereas in surf boats or uh, some of these other team sports, you're actually in that crew together. What was that whole experience like? Was it a bit more fun and you really enjoyed that paddling yeah. environment? From your, I think your stepfather had a very big influence on that. Yeah, yeah. So my, um, yeah, my stepfather had, um, being, you know, he'd won Aussies, um, you know, a few times and I grew up around going to all the surf carnivals. Um, and when I decided after the Olympics to sort of try different things, he said, why don't you come along and try the surf boat? And I'd always been, um, I'm not that great in the ocean, I'd, like in the waves. 
I'm okay. fine out at the back, but I really don't like going in and out of big surf at all. Um, and I actually thought, you know, it's pretty dangerous for women paddling, like rowing surf boats. Um, but finally I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. And um, yeah, so I jumped in and I loved it straight away because I was on the water, but mainly it was a totally new challenge. So it was, it was different to paddling a, a kayak, paddling a ski because the, the stroke was so different. Um, so and you're going backwards. Going backwards, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was a new challenge. I, I had to learn how to, like, row, first of all. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, the, it was a really good group of girls. The first um, three years I rowed down at Collaroy um, with my stepfather sweeping, um, which was really nice. Um, you know, I think he really loved um, having, you know, his daughter in the boat with him. Um, so, yeah, you know, out of all the sports I've done, surf boat rowing is my favourite because yeah. it's, you're in a, you're in a boat, four other girls, um, you train together, you go away together, you compete together. And I never had, never really had that with, like, I sort of, I did have that with the kayaking, but you were still competing against each other. Yeah. So, you know, not we were competing would go for away, each other. But not competing. Yeah. You know, like, even though we would race at the Olympics in the K4, and so you'd have that period of being a team, but then as soon as it went back to selection, you were suddenly racing each other. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just really loved that I was still, it was a new challenge. You know, I, it, the training was really hard. It was learning a completely different sport, really. Um, but it was good fun. Yeah, like socially, it was really good fun. So, yeah, I can imagine it would have been yeah. cool to be a part of and I guess getting over your fears of, of being in the surf a little bit as well and then yeah. being part of the team and, and winning a few a few medals and having a few beers, I'm sure. It was all, yeah. a little bit all part of the, uh, the surf boat rowing. It's such a great community. I've never really been involved in it personally, but I know from a, an outsider perspective, it's always been uh, something that people really enjoy being a part of. But um, you've also got a young family now as well. Yeah. Um, how was that whole transition, obviously, from, I guess, being a paddler to, to working in different, I think you worked in like analytics or supply chain or something like that, and then moving into yeah. ocean paddler, and now you're a fiery, but you've also got a young family, so you've got a whole host of different things going on. Um, what is that whole experience like in having kids as well? Yeah, it's really busy. <laughs> it's full on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I met my husband through surfboard rowing, and... Um, yeah, and then uh, straight after I won my Aussie gold, which was my, you know, the one thing I wanted to do for the surf boat. Um, yeah, I then went and went on and had Toby. He's my eldest. Um, yeah, so he's seven now. And then two years later, um, Alexander, who's five. Um, but yeah, like, oh, it's fantastic. You know, I always wanted two boys. I've got two boys, which is great. But, you know, it's, it really is a lot of work. Um, and, you know, amongst that, I've, I've never really stopped working. Um, I've, I've always, um, you know, been, in, been doing the ocean paddler work during that time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then a couple of years ago, I decided to get into doing the um, fiery. So that was, um, you know, a little bit more workload. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, but... 
yeah, like it, it's it's wonderful. I, I love being a mum and, um, you know, I feel very blessed that um, I've been able to do, you know, up until that time, I was able to do a lot of different things, you know, do a lot of different sports. And then, um, you know, now my focus is on the family. So. Yeah, it must be an awesome experience to have so many things going on and so much, I guess, time management skills that you've got to have to be able to balance everything. And I'm sure Jim really looks after you guys and make sure that uh, you can, you're able to do everything as a team and, and work, make yeah. sure it works, especially when you're going away and you're going to these events, especially over at the doctor and that type of thing. There's, there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of things that go into it behind the scenes that people don't yeah. see. And I see you guys coming over the week before and setting things up for events like the doctor. And there's, I guess there's just so much that goes into it. So it's, it's been great to be able to work with you guys in that way. And I'm sure you keep doing great things going forward. But yeah. um, what, what do you see um, the, the Australian Ocean Racing Series looking like this year? Like, it's pretty exciting. So many different um, events getting put on. It uh, looks like we're through this COVID thing, sort of. Yeah. Um, but we should yeah. be able to be racing. It's probably the only racing that a lot of us can do, including myself. Um, what are you most excited for for this year? Uh, not the workload. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be massive, you know. Um, we've got... Um, you know, Earl is super excited um, about the WA race week. Um, you know, there's some great new events. Um, so that's, you know, that's going to be challenging for us, um, you know, to run more events in that week. Um, but, uh, yeah, like it's, it, it's going to be really good. And I think we're going to see um, a lot more, um, a lot more women and a lot more of, um, competition, you know, in the men as well with, you know, with that, we've got that Ironman race on in WA, so it's going to bring across all those um, Iron men and women, um, which we'll then see lining up, you know, for the doctor, which is, is going to be amazing and probably going to be the most competitive race. Um, you know, hopefully the, the borders do open. Um, potentially that we probably won't see that much international um, competitors coming over, which will be a pity. Um, yeah. But, you know, who knows? It, you know, it's sort of changing every week. So um, possibly... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know because I whole year is sort of based around the borders opening and I have no yeah. idea what's going to happen. Like there's lots of organisers up texting me at the moment to come to their events overseas. And I'm like, well, my state board is not open yet. So I don't know where, I can't yeah. even go east. So I've got to wait, wait till that happens before I can even think about going internationally. So I think, yeah, even someone like myself, my focus will be on the, the Sursky uh, racing series, I think for the first time since 2015, which is exciting. Oh, that's me. good. Yeah. able to do that, but um we'll just have to wait and see what what comes out because these are international races i'm saying i'll get there but yeah it, it will be um interesting to see if the international guys can make it over and if they have to do the 14 day quarantine maybe they'll have to do that who knows yeah it's, yeah. it's a very very interesting time but with COVID, how have you dealt with the whole situation have you liked it have you hated it have you enjoyed a bit of a downtime or has it been something that you've been um struggling to sort of deal with yeah no actually um i quite enjoyed it um you know in terms of uh, you know, with Ocean Paddler, we sort of just had to go back to, you know, basics, making sure that we could get all our online orders out. Um, we put a little bit of a hold on, you know, thinking about the events um, at that point. Um, but now, obviously, we're planning ahead 
um, you know, full steam. Um, in terms of family, I had the, the boys at home doing the homeschooling, um, you know, which was, it was actually okay. Um, you know, I think we're really, we, you know, as Australia, we're in a really, you know, we're really lucky and um, a lot of, there's a lot of people that are worse off than us. So, you know, if homeschooling was the hardest thing I had to do, it really was nothing. So, um, yeah, but I enjoyed having the boys at home. I did enjoy, though, when they went back to school. Um, yeah, I actually, during that time, my husband broke his foot. So he um, he thought he was he was at home. He thought he was going to spend lots of time watching Netflix, but he ended up doing a lot of the, the homeschooling. And um, I actually was able to go paddling every morning because I didn't have to get home early for him to go off to work. So yeah. I really enjoyed it enjoyed that time yeah. yeah but it's now it's very much now has gone back to pre-covid you know the kids afternoon school activities of starting up again and um yeah you know school's back to normal um my husband's gone back to work so yeah it's all really gone back to normal now <laughs> yeah for sure and do you still love getting up in the morning and paddling as much as you did when you were a 13 year old girl when you first started kayaking uh yeah 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 i do um and i think like i would love to paddle more but it's just you know with the family and then you know working i can't always do as much as i'd like to but during that during that COVID time when i did do a bit more paddling um, yeah, I actually really loved it. And, um, you know, I've just, I was going to the, I joined a gym and I was going to that quite a bit, but I've sort of now put that a bit on hold and I'm going to try and spend more of my time getting out on the water. And, um, you know, I've been doing some double paddling with Smurf, which has been good fun. And yep. yeah, so. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, I'm sure we're going to have lots of, uh, meetings throughout the summer, I hope, at uh, all the Australian Ocean Racing Series races. And um, I wish you all the best with everything that's going on with COVID. I hope everything goes smoothly with the business over summer. Um, thanks so much for, for your time today as well. It's been great to have a chat. Thanks, Boothie. Yeah, and you know, you're doing a fantastic job. And um, yeah, I just feel really privileged to be able to be on Boothcast. Yeah, well, you've got a great story to tell and I'm really happy to, I guess, learn a lot from you today because a lot of stuff that I didn't know already. So it was nice to, to get a little bit more in depth with uh, yourself, Yander. And thanks to everybody out there who has been watching the Boothcast. Um, want to listen to any of these, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you want to watch Boothcast on uh, Michael Booth, there's a video section there. Like, subscribe, share, all do all those good things and get this um Boothcast out to more people and just share these water sports stories. So, Yanda, thank you again for all your time today. Yeah, thanks, Boothie. It's been great. See ya. See ya.